it's like, holy moly, you're literally trying to trying to make my company your company. Hey, welcome back to The Real Slim Fady Show. I am Fady Hawatma, and today we are talking about raising money in the Midwest versus raising money on the coasts. I've done both, and this is a topic I've gotten a lot of questions about for a long time. As a mentor for several incubators in Chicago and in the Midwest, a bunch of companies ask me this. If they're in the Midwest, if you're in Chicago, St. Louis, Minneapolis, whatever, whatever company in the Midwest, where should you raise money? And I want to preface this entire episode as directly and transparently as possible. As an Arab immigrant, I cannot say many good things about raising money in the Midwest. All this is my personal experience. And and please, if anyone does disagree, I want to hear from you. I want you guys to reach out if you disagree with everything that I'm saying or anything that I'm saying, or if you have similar experiences. I know there are a lot of egos and reputations at stake on this topic, you know, Midwest pride around really going against the coasts. And I welcome any and all feedback, really. So let's get into it. Raising money in the Midwest versus raising money on the coasts could not be more different. It, it really could not be more different. In my experience, when you look at quote unquote early stage investors, early stage investors in the Midwest want to see traction, 10,000 MRR, you know, product market fit, a team. They want to see experienced teams that have been there, that have done that. And they want to see risk-free investments, you know, as, as risk-free as you can get for being a early stage investor. They want to see risk-free investments as much as possible, right? You look at investors on the coast and, you know, to generalize, right? They want to see huge markets that are being tackled, very unique ideas and very visionary founders. They want to be able to see people and know that the founders are seeing things that the other people don't see, other companies don't see, other competitors don't see. What's the competitive advantage? Why are you going to win? That was a huge thing when I was pitching for the coasts. When I was pitching in the Midwest, it was, how low can I get your valuation? How much revenue do you have so far? I want to talk to every one of your customers. I want to do all this crazy kind of in the details, in the nitty gritty diligence. And on the coast, it was very much more about the vision, about what are we tackling? How are you different? How are you going to win? And there's a saying that goes around in the Midwest. The saying is Midwest investors have deep pockets, but short arms. Right. In my experience, that couldn't be more true. I had a lot of conversations with several families, several several investors that were legit billionaires. And for them to even come close to 100,000, 250,000, anything like that, it was like I was pulling teeth. Right. While I was pitching to to raise my seed round, I was even told by several Midwest VCs, early stage VCs. Keep in mind, all, I'm talking early stage, pre-seed, seed, series A and these VCs looked at the massive market that Clockwork was after, right? Clockwork is after financial modeling, financial planning and analysis. It's a huge market. And they're like, hey, great. You you already have some early traction. Why don't you just keep running this as a lifestyle business and make a million dollars a year yourself? I was honestly blown away the first time I heard that. And then the second and third and fourth time, I was like, man, this is this this must be just a Midwest thing because there's no way that anyone else that I've explained my idea for Clockwork even came close to that conclusion. And Pitch after pitch, right? I was being put into this box of this is what you should do. This is how you should go do it because I was sticking to the Midwest. Being a Chicago startup, I wanted to be as true to the Midwest as much as possible. I wanted to prove that the Midwest was as much of a powerhouse as the coasts. So I kept trying and 
in all honesty, if I wasn't as stubborn and passionate about what I wanted clockwork to become and what I was doing with clockwork, clockwork would have died before it even began if I stayed and let the Midwest investors, Midwest VCs really, really take hold of my company because give me money. They had a lot of opinions. They had a lot of ideas. Change this, change this. Why are you doing it this way? Why should you do this? And and I was defending all my ideas, but very quickly I looked at self-doubt and I was like, man, maybe I'm doing this wrong. Maybe I should be focusing on X, Y, or Z, or I shouldn't say this, this, this. I was starting to internalize the feedback I was getting from these VCs just because they didn't see it. They didn't see the vision. They didn't see the path that I have with clockwork. And I'm going to share a little story with you guys about the worst experience with a VC that I've had in my life. And keep in mind, as an outsourced CFO, that I I ran an outsourced CFO firm for about four years, and I raised millions of dollars for my clients, and I've worked with tens and tens and tens of VCs. And this is by far the single worst experience I've ever had in my life with a VC. And I'm not going to tell you the name. I'm not going to say which one, but it is one of the most active VCs in the Midwest. And they put me through six months of diligence for a measly $250,000 check, an opportunity for a $250,000 check. They ended up backing out the very, very last minute, the very last minute. And I'm telling you, six months of diligence was fast forward the $2 million that I raised from a Boston-based VC, my diligence was way more value add than the six months of diligence. And that diligence lasted maybe four weeks, maybe six weeks, at least before the legal diligence. And it was way more value add than the six months of diligence of going line by line, customer by customer, prospect by prospect, a lot of very non-value add stuff. And the partners literally backed out after it was actually one partner. And it was it was I come to find out that partner was up to some nefarious things with other founders of color, other minorities, uh, black, brown women run companies. And it was it was a very fishy situation. And if that situation isn't bad enough, they convinced an angel investor who I had on the on the on the on the hook basically for a five hundred thousand dollar investment. They reached out to that angel investor, convinced him to put the money in their fund for their seed stage fund rather than putting it into clockwork. And they basically sold him have a little piece of a lot of companies rather than a big piece of a company that we don't believe in. And that was literally how it was pitched to this angel investor. And, and the angel investor, you know, called me one day was like, I'm so sorry, but the terms they're giving me are too good. So I, I have to pull out too. And so literally in a span of a day, this VC was responsible for me losing literally $750,000 investment. It was gone, right? I, I had plans. I had everything set up. It was just boom, overnight. And that was a big lesson learned that I needed to know was it's not done until there's money in the bank. I don't care what they say. I don't care how many verbal commitments you get from partners, how many times they take you out to dinner, invite you to all the portfolio company happy hours and all those kinds of stuff. If there's not money in the bank, if there's not a wire and you have money in the bank, it's not a done deal. And I learned that I learned that lesson the hard way. And on top of the investment being disappeared out of thin air, the cherry on top was them tanking a large enterprise deal that I I had all but closed. It was my first real big logo enterprise customer. They tanked that deal because they had asked during the diligence process, we want to talk to all your main customers and your prospects, some of your biggest prospects of why they would want to 
purchase from you. And, you know, me being the naive founder, I was like, yeah, sure. You know, I trust you guys. There's going to be nothing, nothing kind of wild about this. And so they had struck up a conversation with the big, large enterprise prospect. And they basically tied their investment to the deal that I was closing. And the investment went away and the deal went away because the customer, the prospect was like, well, if this VC who we respect and admire in this space doesn't believe enough in your product, we don't believe enough in it either. And I lost that deal. Two years later, you know, now, you know, in the last few months, they've come back and now they're like, wait, we want to work with you and we want to da, 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 da. So, you know, it all comes back. But at the time when I needed it the most, when I was bootstrapping after, you know, bootstrapping since the beginning of clockwork, this was my first like big break, you could say, it disappeared, disappeared out of thin air. And that was really my my experience wrapped up in, in, in a story with Midwest VCs. Every every conversation was never really a super value add conversation. They loved to just break you down. They loved to just berate you on this idea and this idea and this competitor. And they loved to be the smartest person in the room. They wanted to believe that they were the smartest person in the room. And they loved to remind you of that. And that was very frustrating for me. And like I said, if I wasn't as stubborn as I am and as passionate as I am about clockwork, I wouldn't have carried clockwork forward at all. I wouldn't have carried clockwork forward at all. Now you look at the other spectrum, right? I pitched some VCs on the West Coast and the East Coast, far less VCs. I, I probably pitched north of 100 VCs. Probably 90% of those were in the Midwest for a failed pre-seed round that I tried to raise and then, a, and then a, an actual closed successful seed round. Money was very accessible, but the VCs on the on the West Coast, they wanted, they wanted to know certain things that weren't necessarily normal for me being a Midwest founder, being a Midwest company, a Chicago company. I had always known like, okay, let's come in, let's do the work. On the West Coast, it was like, who's involved? What investors can you get involved? Who are the big names? Is this really, you know, a quote unquote sexy investment? I, I found that, uh, you know, a little a little interesting because in the Midwest, it, it was not like that. In the Midwest, it was traction team and that was it. And that was really the main focus. And, you know, for, for an early stage company, when you're trying to build your V1, build your go to market, build your product market fit, you know, you, proving that to a Midwest VC is, is is pretty difficult, unless obviously you know the VC and you know the partners. There's some backstory there, but when you're coming cold or even a warm introduction, that's a reception that I always got. The VC I ended up going with in Boston, underscore VC is their name, phenomenal VC. It really was a breath of fresh air meeting with them and working with them ever since. So I closed two million on February second, twenty twenty two. So two 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 two. I closed two million dollars and literally can't make that up. That was not not on purpose at all. The VC in Boston, we went from initial meeting to term sheet within six weeks and then four weeks for a verbal commitment. And they didn't back out at the last minute like the other VC did. And several other VCs backed out after verbal commitment. But, you know, I never really took those too seriously. It was like that, right? From the very first conversation I had with this VC, they got it, right? They got it. You have to find a VC that gets it, that gets what you're trying to do. For me, it was going to the coasts. I could not find a VC in the Midwest that really got my vision because I have a huge vision for clockwork. I'm doing pretty unbelievable, intimidating things with clockwork. And I needed someone that saw that, that didn't make me feel as crazy as I've always felt. Right? I, I always feel like I'm crazy going after the things that I'm going after. But you know, when I spoke to this VC out in Boston, they got it. They saw the big vision, the huge market, the huge idea. They weren't intimidated by it and didn't think that it wasn't doable just because it was such a grand idea, grand project, essentially. 
You know, it's a it's a huge undertaking. The VCs I spoke to in the Midwest, and like I said, I spoke to hundred, you know, over a hundred of them between the pre-seed round that I didn't end up raising and successfully raising the seed round. They never really got it, and I always knew that they never got it. And I always just kind of in my mind, I'm like, maybe I'm looking about this the wrong way. Maybe my solution's not the right way. But I lived this problem, right? I lived the market. I lived the customers. I worked with them the whole time. The four years I was running my outsource CFO firm, I was living in the market. So I knew the market. You know, I, I was a customer. I literally was a customer of what Clockwork eventually came to be. And I lived that pain and I built Clockwork because of that pain. So me having to second guess the problem in the market, and it was kind of alien to me where there were certain times where I would get down on myself. I'm like, what am I doing? Like, I know this. I know the market. I know this is a huge opportunity. I know this is where... Clockwork can win, and this is where we're going to fit. And I just had to keep pushing forward. The VCs in the Midwest, quite honestly, they took a lot of the wind out of my sails, a lot of the wind out of my sails. And when you're fundraising, it takes a lot of time and a lot of energy to fundraise. And I was treated pretty poorly by the VCs in the Midwest. To be as, as blunt as possible, as an Arab immigrant, and keep in mind, again, this is my experience, right? If you If you all think it's different, please let me know. But the market that Clockwork lives in has a lot of noise. There's no clear leader. It was easy to be scared after doing just a little Google research. And that's what all these VCs were doing. They didn't really know about the market. It was a, It's a newer market. And so they're like, well, what's happening here? And they'll get scared off by seeing a few indicators in the market. But if you actually knew what you were looking at, you actually knew the market, you knew the industry, you'd see the opportunity. And the coastal VCs saw that right? They saw the opportunity. They saw the noise that was in this market, but they saw the competitive advantage. They saw how I was positioned to win this market. And they wanted to get past that. They they saw it and they got, they got on board immediately. And they're like, okay, let's talk big picture. Let's talk. How do we tackle this together? You want to talk about diversity, you know, especially in the Midwest, it's the name of the game, right? Especially in the last few years, all about diversity, diverse founders, diverse partners, diverse VCs. Being a Brown founder, I had a nearly impossible task finding a VC that was an actual diverse team in the Midwest, let alone had in, had invested in diverse founders, not just one or two, like an actual set rather than, you know, the one to 5% of their portfolio companies being diverse founders, you know, women, black, brown, immigrant, any people of color, you know, it, it was impossible. It was very, very difficult. When I looked at the coastal VCs, I was like, wow, this is actually a diverse team. They have actually diverse investments. And they're not they're not touting the diverse investments as, look, we have one. No, it was, they were actually investing in diverse founders, actually, systemically. It wasn't a one-off. It wasn't an exception to the rule. They actually had diverse founders, not just to help the stats, right? That's what the coastal VCs, that's what I saw. And when I spoke to the Midwest VCs and I'm brown, being being a minority, it was very difficult to feel good about it. It was very difficult to feel good about being a minority when I'm pitching Midwest VCs that did not care. They did not care. They didn't want to hear about it. Then even if they did, oh, great. They didn't know what it actually meant. Quite honestly, it was, it was, it was sad to see. When I spoke to the VC, on the coast, they're like, oh my God, we love that. I have family from there. I've been there. I've done this. And we have friends that, and, I, and it was, it was, it was so refreshing. Like, wow, being a minority is actually good in this space. I can, it's actually going to help me. It's not only going to just 
absolutely hinder my growth, it's going to help me. It, is, it will help me get into doors that otherwise would have been slammed shut in front of my face. And they appreciated they factored that into the deal. That was a very refreshing. Like I said, working with underscore VC is a ref- has been a breath of fresh air. Because I've always been, I've always been on the outside, right? I'm, a, you know, being an Arab immigrant, you know, my name is Fadi Huatma, right? It, it, nothing about me says down the lane, right? And it was good to actually be welcomed and appreciated for that difference, for being different. And I got that from the coastal VCs, never got that from the Midwest VCs. Never got that from Midwest VCs. It was always, is this going to be our token minority investment or not? Then you look at their port codes, one investment, two investments. That does not put a lot of comfort in my mind and in my gut. You know, my gut instinct was always a little against it, right? And that's not to say that the VCs that are focused on diversity, they're focused on minority run companies, minority run founders, they weren't any better. They weren't any better. They, They just like to act like they were, in all honesty. And that was my experience with the VCs. When I speak to them, it's traction, experience. Oh, you don't fit in this box. And we don't really care to look at it in the big picture. And that's it. You know, and and the feedback was always so critical. It was so critical. And I think that was, that's another piece that's super important with the Midwest VCs. They will destroy your vision, your pitch your your market your your product your customer they'll destroy it even if it's a no they'll destroy it the vcs on the coasts when it was a no it was hey we love what you're doing we would this is the one thing that really didn't fit well with us or we weren't comfortable with or we couldn't get comfortable with but we love what you're doing and keep us up to date you know and usually when you when you get a response of keep us up to date that's that's always a no right that's always a you know an easy way a nice way to say you know fuck off we're not interested but really on the on in the midwest 100% if someone says keep me in the loop it's a fuck off. We're not interested. If a VC on the coast says we're, you know, right now it's not a fit, but please let us know how you develop, how you evolve, because they gave valuable feedback. That was the difference maker. It gave valuable feedback. I was actually able to improve my pitch. I was able to improve the pitch deck itself. I was able to improve certain things about our go to market because the feedback was actually there. And it was incremental changes, right? When I pitched, VCs in the Midwest, it was change your entire go-to-market strategy, change your entire product. Why are you focused on this? It's like, holy moly, you're literally trying to trying to make my company your company. There's a reason that I'm the founder and I'm trying to I'm trying to pitch you to have you understand it. And so, you know, it was never really helpful. Even if they didn't get it, they wanted to to drive you into the ground and make them feel good that they didn't get it. On the coasts, it was, hey, we don't get it, but we love what you're doing. We want to see you succeed. And it was a very good feeling. It was really refreshing, quite honestly, to pitch outside Chicago, pitch outside the Midwest. It was very difficult, very, very difficult. So if you're raising money in the Midwest and you're a Midwest startup, do not be closed-minded. Do not think that you can put whatever Midwest city you're on on your back and be like, I'm going to raise this in the Midwest and and be loyal. There's no pride in that. Look everywhere. Look across the globe for investment that is going to fit your thesis, that is going to fit your vision, fit your model, fit what you want to do. Look everywhere. Do not stick to the Midwest. There's no reason to try and have the Midwest pride and stunt your growth because I did that. I took that on the chin. I took that L and I was so focused on that because I was like, there's no way I can go anywhere else. And 
it stunted our growth. It stunted my growth. But I learned one hell of a lesson. I learned one hell of a lesson. And I'm so glad that I went through that experience because it helps me, right? Now I'm way more focused on who I talk to, how I talk to them. Back then I was taking all the meetings that I could. Now I'm very, very focused. And if I do a cursory review and they don't align with me, I'm not taking that meeting. And so keep in mind, like I said, this is my experience. If you disagree with it or have any other thoughts or have a similar experience, please feel free to reach out. Share with me. If you want to be on the guest on the show, if you are a VC, you work in the VC, you have been a company, you've successfully raised in the Midwest, and you are an immigrant, you are a minority, I'd love to hear from you. I really want to see that I want to be proven wrong. I want to see that my experience was just that, my experience. It was the exception, not the rule. And so I love working with VCs that really see your vision. And that's what I urge every fellow entrepreneur to do. So thanks for listening to the Real Slim Fady show. Check out my company, clockwork.ai for everything financial modeling, forecasting, financial planning and analysis. And we will see you next time.